0: Welcome to IMTV. I'm Alan Keyes, and this is Let's Talk America, though today I suppose I should call it Let's Talk America and Israel because we're talking to our really good friend David Rubin from Israel, someone who is very knowledgeable not only about Israeli politics and culture and background, uh, but also he's paid a lot of attention to things here in the United States. Uh, has a good sense of what Donald Trump represents, and I think we should have just a wonderful conversation as we uh, assess the situation here and there as it is affected by this coronavirus, but also overall. You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back. These are great when you're a multitasking person. You can listen to them around the house, when you're out in the car, when you take a walk. Now we have put our shows on to podcasts and you can listen to let's talk America uh, on podcasts. You can find them at Spotify, Apple podcasts, anchor FM, and other apps. While you're there, subscribe to our channel. So you don't miss out on our new episodes. Thanks for listening and supporting us together. We're changing the world.
1: Want more IMTV episodes? We are now streaming through Roku. Roku is a device that enables you to stream entertainment to your TV through your internet provider. The starting price is only $29, and you can purchase one either online or through your local electronics retailer. It's easy to use and you won't have to worry about missing any more IMTV episodes. IMTV changing the world.
0: Welcome back. Now I'm here with my good friend and the inspiration for IMTV, Bob Sisson. Whenever I do that the inspiration part because I say that almost every time now introducing Bob because it's a true description but it's more true than than you realize because you know in the beginning when God created man it says and he breathed into man the breath of life and that's literally true of you you know you breathed the breath of life in terms in many respects uh, into this endeavor uh, which I believe has proven to be really important uh, not only to those of us who participate but in providing an opportunity to get a Christian perspective on things uh, and a perspective that appreciates the absolute and fundamental importance of faith. And today we have the very special privilege of welcoming back one of our dear friends in Israel, somebody who represents, I think, that whole perspective in a wonderful way. Uh, He is also the head of a wonderful uh, school that we visited when we were in Israel. Uh, to help, among other things, uh, kids who have been affected uh, by the terrible toll of terror, but also to inculcate uh, a fundamental sense of the faith that inspires and sustains the existence of Israel. And we're always glad uh, to welcome him to our program. David, welcome to the show, and thank you for being with us today.
2: Well, thank you. It's good to be with you, Alan.
0: Well, you know, I've been following with tremendous interest, though sometimes I'm not sure with full understanding, all the ups and downs, and that's literally how you'd have to describe them, of Israeli politics for the last several months. Uh, They have been now through three elections. Uh, The last one, I was just telling you a few minutes ago, I went to bed uh, the, the, the day the election occurred thinking that it was decided, and finally there had been a majority chosen, and when I woke up, It turned out not to be the case, so you all have uh, continued along the path, but now it appears, am I wrong, that uh, things have either settled on or are very close to settling on the possibility of a unity government, as they call it, uh, probably inspired perhaps by the COVID crisis, I'm not sure. What is the state of play?
2: Well, Israel is not that different from some of the parts of the United States that have been seriously hit by the coronavirus. And the coronavirus kind of just took over. You know, we, we in Israel had three elections, three deadlocked elections uh, within one year. Mm-hmm. And, and that and then we had this election, the most recent one, uh, just a little bit over a month ago. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu of the right-of-center Likud party uh, got 36 seats as opposed to 32 seats of Benny Gantz's left-of-center blue and white party. And it it looked pretty clear uh, like Netanyahu was going to uh, be prime minister again. Uh, Then, you know, understanding how the system works here, uh, which most people don't, except those who live here, and even some of those who live here don't even know how the system works. Uh, but we, you know, this is a parliamentary system like no other. Uh, the the two leading parties each have about uh, a little bit more than a, a quarter of the seats in the Israeli parliament, known as the Knesset. And uh, the rest of the the seats in the Knesset are are carried by smaller parties, both on the right and on the left. And and those parties are needed to form a governing coalition. So Netanyahu got his 36 seats, uh, then he needed to get up to 61 uh, to form a governing coalition, he had his right-wing block uh, made up the made up of the Likud and the smaller parties, the right-wing and religious parties to the to the right of the Likud. Uh, that make up all altogether. They had 58 seats for the right-wing block. Uh, the The left-wing block, which comprises the the left-wing parties, uh, the avowedly secular parties and uh, the Arab coalition of anti-Israel parties and those together had 62 seats so uh, Netanyahu wasn't able to get a coalition together, Gantz said that he he can get together 62 seats Uh, the coalition of Arab parties which has 15 seats said yes they will support him as long as he will support some anti-Zionist, anti-Israel policies. And and that's what happened. So, so Gantz was given the mandate to form a government, uh, including the 15 Arab seats. However, that is incredibly unpopular in Israel because everyone knows that they just want to destroy Israel. And the very fact that Gantz was willing to form a coalition with them uh, showed that he was not fit to be prime minister and there were people within his party who who were opposed to that, who were opposed to well, forming this coalition with the Arab parties.
0: Didn't, didn't uh, Gantz campaign actually on a platform that basically promised not to form such an alliance?
2: Exactly. Exactly. He did campaign on that promise. He said he will not form an alliance uh, with the Arab parties because it's known that they support terrorism against Israeli civilians, that they're against the state of Israel altogether. But he, he went back on that promise. And because of that, some there was a mini rebellion within his party. and And so it became clear that he wasn't gonna be able to form a coalition. And his time was running out And Netanyahu was able, behind the scenes, to put together a governing coalition with Gantz. Gantz broke off from his own party. There was a split right down the middle of his party. And anywhere from 15 to 17 members of his party agreed to go into a unity, what they call unity, coalition with Netanyahu. Mm.
0: Well, which, I, apparently
2: will, well, which apparently will be comprised of 78 of the 120 seats in the Israeli Knesset.
0: I got the impression that he was kind of in a situation where if he tried to move forward with what he had, enough of his party folks would refuse to support him that he would end up being in a situation where he was utterly dependent on the um, Arab uh, parties. Um, and, and did he decide that that was an impossible situation, which seems to me to make sense, or was there some other reason?
2: No, he, he realized that he could not do that and and keep his party intact. And so he gave up on that. Mm-hmm. But there was no other possibility. There's no other way that he could form a coalition. Right. Uh, because the right wing is a right wing block. The right wing block wasn't going to break up and go join a Gantz coalition.
0: How much of a lease on life do you think this set of events uh, gives to uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu? Because he is still uh, under the pressure of this accusation uh, from the prosecutor's office, right? Uh, that he was guilty of malfeasance and so forth and so on. Um, I thought it rather strange though just because I'm used to the American system that some folks in Israel argue as if the mere accusation should be enough to compel him to step aside but that doesn't make sense to me because it gives an awful lot of power to those who are willing to practice the Machiavellian approach to politics which is just drum up accusations to get rid of your opponents does that make sense
2: Oh, exactly. I mean, it's actually very similar to President Trump and and his situation because uh, we've seen since the beginning of the Trump administration uh, there were one charge after another. First, the Russian collusion, and then the Ukrainian quid pro quo. You know, all all of, all of the uh, charges that were just made up in order to bring him down. And Netanyahu has suffered a similar uh, type of situation, where the left-wing media has always been against him. And in fact, the the main bribery charge against Netanyahu is is a charge that he that he made a deal a- after years of horrible coverage. You know, it was worse than CNN on President Trump. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. just terrible terrible coverage uh, of Netanyahu and for years for years everyone knew it. everyone knew that the media uh, has left-wing biases and is out to get Netanyahu. And he tried to strike a deal with one of the main media figures uh, that and they say they say this at least that's a charge that he would support certain legislation, that would be favorable to to that media outlet, and if he does, then he'll get more favorable coverage from that media outlet. That's a charge uh, that's been held up against him. Now, uh, there are legalists who say that's ridiculous. You can't consider it's not considered bribery right. in the in this context. Uh, bribery is when you receive money. Or or you receive either a cash payment or a promise of a cash payment or or a payment of goods or or property. Uh, there is no there is no uh, legal basis, many say, uh, for for charging him with bribery. Uh, anyhow, that's what he's been charged well, with. If there... and and the,
0: if it moves forward, yeah. Let
2: me just finish. Let me yeah. just finish, Alan. So Sorry. that's what he's been charged with. And the the charge is is heading to trial. You know, he's been indicted, and there's supposed to be a trial to begin in a couple of months. However, in Israel, we believe that you are innocent until proven guilty. It's not just a slogan here. You know, we we are a, a democracy on steroids. And we we believe very strongly in that basic principle. And according to the law, he can serve as prime minister while still being charged with these corruption charges. He has the right to defend himself in court and and to make it clear that, that he is innocent.
0: Now, the question I was going to raise, so that Americans will understand the difference, when we say trial involving the president, we are actually talking about what remains not in the narrow sense of partisanship but in the larger sense of answering to the people and therefore performed by their representatives. Uh, The whole thing takes place uh, in the context of a political inquest right? and then a judgment that's going to be rendered by one of our legislative bodies elected by the people. Who will make the ultimate judgment as to guilt or innocence for Prime
2: Minister Netanyahu. Uh, there, there will be a panel of three judges. Huh. The, the way we have it here, it's not trial by jury. It is, it is trial by judges. Uh, there is a panel of three judges that hears the case. And yes, you do have a lawyer, and you, you know, there's a lawyer, there's a prosecutor, uh, just like in America. Except the ultimate decision is by that panel of three judges.
1: All right, uh, David, I have a question. You mentioned that there were uh, a group of Arabs, just 15 or 17 uh, representatives over there, and that they are anti-Israel. And my question is this. As we traveled around over there, it was obvious that most Arabs were pretty happy working with the Israelis and doing things because they made more money, and the areas where where they were, if they were working with with the israelis the the standard of living was quite a bit higher. It was pretty obvious when you went by a place that was only Arab and it wasn't near as nice uh Am I led to believe, how do they get that many representatives that are anti-Israel when the average Arab that I know or that I've met over there was uh, at least grateful to be living in a country that had organization, that had morals, that had a lot of stuff that their other countries don't have, uh, by and large. So how is it that there's that large a representation that is really, truly anti-Israel?
2: Well, I have to make a small semantic correction, Bob. Okay. Uh, the, that that uh, most of the Arabs who live in Israel, and I'm, I'm saying this based on their voting patterns, the fact that, that, they, that they vote for a party that they voted heavily for, for this party, this, this coalition of Arab parties, actually, uh, that formed an alliance against Israel. And most of the Arabs of Israel voted for them. Mm. So, so um, the word grateful is is not really accurate. Uh, yes, yes, they are uh, happy to live in Israel because they, they get tremendous benefits by living in Israel. Um, but they don't show much gratitude for it. Wow! And they they want the right to build illegally in Israel. Uh, they, they they don't they don't believe that they should have to get permits because they don't recognize the state of Israel. Uh, if if Israel responds to missile attacks, uh, well, the, the Arab population is not happy about that, and and they they protest it. If that Arab coalition was, if they had gone into the Israeli uh, government, if they had reached an agreement with Benny Gantz. Uh, his left-of-center party and formed a coalition with Gantz, uh, that Arab party was making demands such that uh, there there would not be any response to missile attacks. I mean, uh, outrageous, outrageous uh, demands they were making uh, that that they would have the right uh, to demand and that Gantz would agree to it uh, that there would not be a response to any... Uh, any any Hamas terrorist attacks on Israel, so so so, so uh, I'm thankful that they're not in the government. That uh, they're, that okay. they're not going to be in the government, right. uh, and we'll, we'll just have to see what the unity government uh, entails. Because Gantz already did make some promises to the to this Arab coalition, and he's trying to bring those promises into the unity coalition that's in formation with Netanyahu.
1: Mm. Mm. So there is no place for a moderate Arab to go. He either has to vote uh, for Israel or vote for his, his kindred. So it doesn't seem like they have I- anywhere to go.
2: Well, there, there is a, a question of whether your ethnic loyalties are stronger than your national loyalties. With the Arabs, it's a it's an ongoing problem that they have, uh, but it's our problem also.
1: Right,
2: and you know until they start, uh, until they start really believing in the state of Israel, until they start uh, supporting the state of Israel and and its right to the land of Israel and stop supporting the terrorist organizations, until that happens, then they're, they're not going to find their place in the state of Israel. And I, I would like to see a situation where uh, where they would uh, become a patriotic minority mm. yeah. in Israel. Uh, there, You know, we do have uh, the Druze population, which is uh, a, a minority uh, that... Uh, I mean, they're, they're not as numerous as, as the Arabs are, uh, but they're a loyal minority, and they, they serve in the army, they, or they do civilian national service, and they pay taxes willingly and happily, and they, and they believe, for the most part, uh, they believe in the state of Israel. Uh, we see no such loyalty from the Arabs, and, that, and that's something that we need to be aware of, and until they start to be loyal to the state of Israel, you can't have uh, all, the, all, of the, uh, all of the political demands met if those demands are contrary to the survival of the state of Israel. Wow.
0: You know, this partly brings to my mind, looking back over this whole election cycle, a question that has to do, uh, in a way, with the other side of the equation, because... You've got religious parties and those who are not secular parties, like uh, Mina, Is that what it's called? Um, which is not exactly religious, but not secular. Okay. You're referring so, to Yamina. Yamina. Y- yes. And, y- and yes. So, Yamina
2: is a is a right it's it's a a right wing party, uh, which is primarily known as a religious Zionist party. Pardon. It's a, a party that is a strong right wing patriotic conservative party, uh, which, which has uh, a, substantial, uh, a substantial majority of its members, uh, happened to also be religious.
0: But I get the impression, from what happened during the course of these three election cycles, uh, and particularly when the focus was on Lieberman, I think, that there was a strong kind of anti-religious secular bias at work in the politics that almost threatens to put the religious folks in the category of the Palestinians kind of pushes them aside in terms of the political and governmental process Um, and uh, we're running down in this segment but when we get back I'd like to focus for a minute or two on the implications of that because it seemed to cause a lot of of uh, pain in the course of this election cycle and had an effect on the outcome of the elections and, and um, the possibilities that there were. But, but it did prove to be the case, I think, that Likud held pretty strongly onto uh, that religious base, refusing to be discouraged, partly at least because Netanyahu held his ground. And I'd, I'd like you to give us an assessment of what the future looks like in terms of what's going to happen to people of faith um, in Israeli politics. Uh, We'll deal with that and other things right after we get back. Hi, I'm Alan Keyes. I just want to let you know that on a recurring basis every Tuesday, We're going to have a guest, Mike Adams, the health ranger. He's going to be joining us to talk about the whole array of challenges, both in terms of our health as a people and as individuals and our health as a nation. We'll be looking at those things through the eyes of someone who has thought deeply about many things and who has many great ideas to share with me and with you and with everyone who tunes in to Let's Talk America on Tuesdays when we meet with the Health Ranger, to talk about how we sustain the health of our liberty. Welcome back. Uh, We have the great pleasure of talking to David Rubin from Israel about the events that have been taking place there. As Bob is showing, lift it up, let everybody see it. Uh, He is the author of the book, Trump and the Jews, uh, so that he has a perspective that has really uh, thought deeply uh, about the relationship between the United States and Israel. We now have kind of, you might call it, I guess, a common adversary, though I I have to always use that word uh, a little delicately when it comes to things like this, because, after all, President Trump looks at all of this, we're at war with the coronavirus. Uh, Behind it all, though, David, I have to keep in mind myself that one of these days we will get to the bottom of two things. One, whether or not this virus we're dealing with was, in fact, an accident. That's a question being hotly debated in some quarters. Um, And two, why on earth so many people in the American media, I don't know about elsewhere, seem willing to look the other way about the egregious role. That the chinese government's decisions played in making sure that this became a pandemic i i put it that way advisedly because for what a month or more they simply didn't bother to let anybody know what was going on and seemed quite anxious to hide it persecuting their medical people and so forth and so on is that going to lead i'll get back to the politics of israel in a minute but do you think that that (laughs) perception uh, of the chinese is is accurate and that they're going to pay a price for that once we've gotten through all of this
2: well i don't know if they're going to pay a price for it but i i do agree with the perspective uh, listen i you know i i think uh that the the chinese people uh are great people i'm not i'm certainly uh, would not criticize chinese people as a whole i know that the uh, there are a lot of great people in China, and I, I, I think it's uh, a people with a, a lot going for it. Uh, the, the problem is the communist government, mm-hmm. and, the, and the, you know, we, we don't talk about that too much anymore, but uh, communism is very problematic, it's a, and the, they're not responsive to the people. If they don't like what someone does, they throw them in jail, they don't like what someone says they throw him in jail and this is what happened with you know one of the early people one of the early scientists who were who were criticizing the government and saying uh, that that they need to get the the word out about this virus and they need to publicize it and people need to know what's really going on and they they quickly shut him up and threw him in jail and and now now that it's all out and now that they're almost at the point where, where they have peaked in the number of corona cases and they're starting to get a handle on their situation, and, uh, but, but they, they've tossed it to the rest of the world and the rest of the world is having to deal with this now. And then there was uh, uh, there's a, a billionaire in, in China who is very well known, mm. who came out. Came out recently with some criticism of the Chinese government and how the Chinese government handled it, mm. and 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 when he criticized them, uh, they they made him disappear. Yeah. Uh, his his family members and friends have been complaining about that, saying that he he has been out of circulation for about two weeks. They don't know where he is. Uh, whether he was killed, whether he was thrown in in uh, solitary confinement, we don't know. Uh, so, so, yes, the criticisms of China are certainly warranted. Uh, that's what happens in a country where you don't have freedom of speech and where you don't have freedom of the press. And uh, the, the pollution in China, uh, you know, I was in China and I'll, I'm telling you, people walk around with masks all the time. That was way before Corona. <laughs> uh, and it's because of the pollution uh, so what why is there all that pollution why why doesn't the government do anything about it? well they they have tremendous industries in China I was told uh, but uh, the United States also has tremendous industries. but why doesn't the United States have pollution? well there were, there were there were times when the United States had terrible pollution in a lot of major cities and there there was criticism of that and the government got a handle on it so, Uh, that that's what happens when you have freedom of speech unfortunately in China that's not the case
0: well you know I think that reference to to um, to freedom to liberty um, also gets us back to the situation of Israeli politics because I think a lot of times people tend to forget that one of the incidents of being a free country where people get to speak their mind and get to organize themselves according to what they think is right for the country, is that you're going to get, as we are now going through in America, some pretty sharp differences. Uh, And and the question then becomes whether those differences are going to result in the incapacity to deal with this situation. Uh, And one of the things that's intrigued me for the longest time is a little bit of a... uh, almost, it's not exactly a contradiction, but I do think it's a, it's a challenge. Uh, because at one and the same time, when people talk about Israel and its heritage, right, uh, but involving questions that are fundamental sometimes to conflict and criticism and all of this, which is the claim of Jewish folks uh, to the land of Israel, uh, ultimately the roots are traced back to something that at the end of the day only makes sense If you take the Bible seriously, take God seriously, and understand uh, the mind that sees the promises of God as having real consequences in our human affairs. And yet, at the same time, we were talking when we went out about uh, the rising secularism and the push to somehow push to the side in politics. The religious parties that obviously play a vital role in sustaining the competitiveness of the likud how is this going to work itself out i mean and and what uh, uh, let, let us assume for the moment that netanyahu has his staying power in terms of the present government situation but all of us are getting older what is going what is the implication of this season of continual politicking and how do you think this dichotomy is going to work itself out as israel moves into the future
2: Okay. Well, certainly, in in the short term, it looks like there's going to be unity government uh, of some sort. Uh, hopefully, it'll be unity government that will respect the values of the right who are, after all, the uh, the dominant parties in the coalition, uh, the conservative and and religious factions, the uh, the the more right wing. Factions uh, more nationalistic factions are, are, are the dominant force in the in Unity government at least in numbers and they, they should be in terms of strength and values as well uh, So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But looking longer term, which I believe you were asking about uh, In Israel, uh, I think it's important to understand that in Israel faith and tradition is very, very strong. The family, the traditional family, is very, very strong. And the interest in religion, and I mean Judaism, is very, very strong. So, uh, Israel is a country in which religious values, the belief, in the Bible as our history book, uh, the, this isn't something that's fading away. This is something that is growing. And the numbers of, of the, uh, the right wing, the religious parties uh, is only growing. It's only growing and, and it's gonna to continue to grow over time. That's what all the trends show us. So uh, unlike some parts of the Western world where secularism is on the rise, uh, in Israel, secularism is, is fighting a very vehement fight because they know that the future isn't with them. Uh, so they're, they're, they're trying to uh, put facts on the ground uh, that will be fairly hard to undo at uh, this time. But uh, the future is not on, on the side of the secular. The future is on the side of the religious in Israel.
1: Well, that's the way it should be, and I'm certainly glad to hear that. I wish I could say that was true of our country. Mm. It may possibly become true of our country as we struggle with the coronavirus. But I was thinking about that. What about in your hometown of Shiloh? Are there any uh, uh, confirmed cases up there? How safe are you even when you're at home?
2: Uh, There are several confirmed cases. I mean, right now I'm speaking to you uh, from uh, from the studio in Jerusalem. But uh, but yes, in in the town of Shiloh, or Shiloh, as Americans would probably call it, mm-hmm. in the hills of Samaria, uh, yes, there are Corona cases. There there are coronavirus cases, and those people are quarantined right now. Uh, the there are over four thousand. We're approaching 4,500 cases within Israel, uh, as we speak. Actually, it may be more than that at this point. Uh, so, but but the number of deaths there have been 16 deaths, oh, wow. uh, which is a fair. I mean, every death, you know, breaks our hearts. But but it's a fairly low number at this point. Uh, but it's expected to grow, and and you know, we're fighting the same battle that. That people all over the United States are fighting, and especially in some uh, parts of the United States where everything is shut down. So we're pretty much shut down here. Uh, I was permitted to come to my studio in Jerusalem to uh, to uh, record this show, but uh, generally, I'm in lockdown in, in Shiloh, and there are uh, there there is no public transportation there. Uh, all the schools have been shut down for several weeks now, uh, from, from nursery school all the way through college, and most people aren't going to work. Only supermarkets, banks, and pharmacies are open, uh, but we're a small country about the size of New Jersey, so that's, uh, that's believed to be the best way that we can stop the spread of the virus and try to find some solutions, and Israeli scientists are working on this Uh, pretty seriously as we speak.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I know that Israel has some of the most brilliant scientists in the world. Add to that the blessing of the living God who this is his home, by the way, as you know. And so I would almost expect if there's going to be a breakthrough from the scientific community that it might well come out of Israel. You know yourself that many of the great inventions and stuff over the past centuries have been brought forth by the Jewish people, and so we're looking to you guys, man. Well,
0: you know, well, it's we're,
2: kind
1: of, we sorry, go ahead.
2: <laughs> we are working on it. Uh, we, we, we are working on it. There, uh, there's a team of scientists up in the Galilee uh, that that has been researching the coronavirus vaccine for about four years now. And uh, in, admittedly, that was the coronavirus vaccine uh, for uh, to to counter disease in poultry. and they they have come up with a vaccine for that. And for the past few weeks, they've been working furiously to put together to basically to adapt that vaccine for humans. And it doesn't require that much. It 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 just has to be adapted, and then they're going to get right to the clinical testing. And uh, there 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 also uh, there's also a, a firm called Teva Pharmaceuticals in Israel uh, that that just sent six million doses of of the um, uh, chloroquine. Uh, which, which is a, a treatment for malaria right. that has been found in isolated cases to be very effective in treating uh, the coronavirus. So uh, the, the the Israeli scientists are hard at work, and Israel is hard at work, and hopefully soon we'll we'll find a cure and and we will be contributing to the world battle uh, to treat this corona cor, the coronavirus and uh, I i would be very happy, just like anybody, you know, just like everybody. I'd be very happy if the cure and if the vaccine came out of the United States. But you should know that Israel is working very seriously to find that vaccine.
1: Absolutely. Hey, tell us a little bit about the Shiloh Israel Children's Fund and the work that you're doing up there while well, we maybe have a few minutes left today uh, how is that work progressing and are you guys now shut down there just like everything else is shut down
2: uh yes well first let me just give a little background Bob the the Shiloh Israel children's fund uh, was established 18 years ago uh, there was a terrorist attack there were many terrorist attacks in Israel but there was a terrorist attack in which my three-year-old son and I were wounded by terrorists, by Muslim terrorists who ambushed our car while we were driving on the road, coming home to Shiloh from Jerusalem. from Jerusalem. And uh, the, the bullets hit, and I, uh, I felt a bullet crash into my left leg, and my son uh, seemed to be in shock. But once I got away from the terrorists, miraculously, and we got to an ambulance, and uh, it was revealed to us that my son had gotten shot in the head Mm. that the bullet that went into his head and through his neck missed his brain stem by one millimeter Mm -hmm. and we well we had some operations and and uh psychological trauma therapy for my son in a hospital in jerusalem Uh, but looking looking past that i knew that when something like that happens, when you go through a personal trauma like that, uh, that God is trying to send you a message Mm. and that we are commanded to take a trauma that we experience and to turn it into good. Mm. And And after that, I decided to start the Shiloh Israel Children's Fund for the purpose of healing the trauma of the terror victim children and helping them to rebuild for the future. So we we have a campus in the the heart of Shiloh, or as we call it, Shiloh in Israel. And uh, we we have over 2,000 children on that campus. We integrate education, faith-based education, with therapy. We use music therapy, art therapy, horseback riding therapy, animal-assisted therapy, bibliotherapy, and sports therapy, you name it, any any therapy uh, that can be done, we do it. We use informal therapies, formal therapies, and and some very sound faith-based education to restore the lost innocence of childhood for these children. And that that's what the Shiloh Israel Children's Fund does. Uh, Bob and Alan, I kn- I know you both came to visit us, and mm. we were very honored by that visit, and and. Thank God, we've been able to do great things, and to to heal that trauma. Uh, but yes, since the coronavirus hit, uh, we have been shut down. Uh, there, I know for sure that when we get through this, when we're, when when we're back in motion, uh, there's going to be a lot of trauma from this as well. And as, as I always say. Uh, children around the world suffer from a lot of similar traumas and we we can add the corona coronavirus to that uh, but in Israel we also suffer the trauma of terrorism and war and you know frequent terrorism and war and constant threat of terrorism and war uh, so we're, we're going to have our, our work cut out for us wow. uh, once once we're able to open up again
0: one of the things that has always impressed me um, about Israel and even more so in the visits that I've been able to pay there uh, is the fact we're we're faced with a crisis here in America and the question is for this generation of Americans I think especially uh, whether or not we still have the wherewithal that was present in the United States in previous eras of crisis so that the statement you made which uh, impl- implied i think that that from situations like this you can actually come out on the other side with greater strength with a greater sense of the common uh, bond that we have together as as citizens uh it, that is going to get stronger now i would think and have been impressed with the fact actually that that ongoing critical situation in israel kind of leaves you with a situation already that is less beset uh, by the delusions of radical individualism that have unfortunately overtaken somewhat purposefully some generations in the United States Um, question what do you think will be the positive outcome of this whole challenge um, for people in Israel and how does it relate to what was already there in the way of an ability to, to uh, greet a crisis like this with determination. And are there lessons that you could say Americans might draw? Because uh, I'm finding that our situation is still characterized by a kind of growing sense that some people are more interested in exploiting uh, than in ultimately resolving things in a way that strengthens us, not only in our health, but as a nation.
2: Well, those are very, very important points and very relevant points for Israel. Uh, we're a country that argues and argues vociferously uh, in the, in the Knesset and on the streets. Uh, there, you know, they always say if you have you, you have two Jews, you're going to have ten different opinions, <laughs> and 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 that's that's a reality in Israel, uh, but. When it comes to times of war, when it comes to times of intense terrorism, the people come together. We see this unity, uh, which is remarkable, and discipline, which is remarkable. And that's something that we're seeing today with the coronavirus. Uh, There is this coming together, there is this discipline uh, in knowing that, that we need to join together and that, and that's how uh, we're going to combat this crisis uh, so so yes uh, we have that now and I know we're going to have that when the crisis is over and and we'll'll ha- we'll probably have that eventual confrontation with Iran and and probably with Hamas uh, in Gaza uh, the there, there was no question everyone, knows that, the, that the, the missiles from Gaza and from Lebanon aren't flying at Israel right now because of the coronavirus, because everyone is battling the same enemy, as, as you say. Uh, but uh, that's gonna change. Uh, but, but we as a people in Israel uh, do come together in times of crisis. Uh, we, do, we do have that discipline in times of crisis. And we we still, even though there is a lot of individualism here as well, uh, we still do have that that sense of of unity, of camaraderie, of of a national mission. Mm. And and uh, you know, it, it requires a strong leader to bring that out in the people. And I believe Prime Minister Netanyahu has been has been good in has been doing a good job in in leading. I I, by the way, I also think President Trump yes. has been doing an excellent job uh, well, with those I, those those nightly meetings and the press conferences with the team of doctors, and and uh, Secretary of State Pompeo, and uh, Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, I think that I think he's doing an excellent job, and and that that's a way also of bringing the people together, and we see it in the polls.
0: By the way, well, I think uh, that, that one of the things that it looks like we can rely on, and it's come out in the course of the last several weeks, is a kind of irrepressible optimism in President Trump that reflects the underlying confidence that has always been there in the American people. Even when we were faced with difficulties and divisions, there was this sense that uh, we had the foundation to get through it. Um, I think he's been projecting that rather well, a little bit better than some of his opponents, I would dare say. Uh, And I am praying to God that this will prove to be a reminder to Americans uh, over the course of the months ahead uh, that we really do stand together on solid ground, valuing life, uh, working together to improve it and sustain it, uh, and in the process, I think, uh, becoming a nation uh, that is sure of itself once again. Um, I think that could very well be the outcome for both our countries, and I pray that it is. Thank you for being with us today, David. Always a wonderful treat to have you with us. And I hope you all will consider seriously uh, what we've talked about here today and think it through. Because I think more than a little ray of sunshine and hope uh, lies in the character in both peoples that we have discussed. So ponder that and join us again here at Let's Talk America.